Hey there, thanks for pressing play on another episode of Crab Chats. For our third interview, we're picking the mind of Danny Zelly. Danny is well known for running a very successful Krav Maga school and organization called Tactica Krav Maga Institute, based in San Francisco, California. He's a second generation Krav Maga instructor of Emi Lechtenfeld. He's had a lifelong passion for combat sports, served in the IDF as an infantry staff sergeant, and also taught Krav Maga to active infantry service members for the rest of his service in the IDF. On top of that, he's also been trained and certified as an instructor under many different Krav Maga organizations like KMG and KMW. He was also the director for IKMF California. Because of all his experience as a successful Krav Maga instructor and school owner, we thought we'd pick his brain for all those out there who have their own Krav Maga schools and are looking for some tips to make it better, or for those who are currently students or looking to start their own operation. If you like what you hear, hit the like button at any point, share with those you think will find this information useful, and comment if you have any questions or feedback. We really hope you enjoy this one. Hello, Danny. Hey, Court. Hey, buddy. How are you? Good, good. How you doing? Good, man. Good. It's been a long time. I know. How you been, man? I've been good, man. How about yourself? Uh, what's new with you? Uh, everything is good. We just finished the first phase of uh, the instructor certification last Sunday. Is this for a graduate level instructor or? These are, so we do it in two levels. The first level, the phase one, it's a nine days, similar to other organizations. We do it nine days. Yep. From like eight to 5 p.m. And people who graduate, depending on their score, they can teach between P1 to P3. Yep. And they get a temporary certificate till the next phase, which is in six months. Fantastic. Yeah, and then they do the phase two that will uh, pretty much when they graduate, they get a graduate one. Okay. That's that's actually pretty similar to the way we do it here now. So right. yeah. s- seems to seems to work really well, especially when you've got the time between the stage one and the stage two for the practical, you know? Deliberately, I want, I want to have six months so they will have time to... Uh, refine the techniques, the teaching, and everything that we went through. That's good. How you been? How's uh, how are things going over there? Things are good? Things are good. We're building Krav Maga systems. We're just doing our thing, mate, and um, just focusing on teaching and, and looking after the people. Awesome. Yeah. Very nice. Well, look, um, Danny, let's get stuck into it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to do something a little bit different with this Krav Chat. Uh, and rather than focus specifically on Krav Maga, um, I guess from a student's perspective, we're aiming to do this one for the instructors and those who want to follow a uh, path in teaching Krav Maga. Sure. You've got a very successful Krav Maga organization called Tactica. You know that I'm always following you guys. You know, I love what you do. Cool. Your school shows a real unity between the people. And, and I just wanted to have a chat to you about that sort of stuff. Sure. But before we get started, Danny, could you just tell everyone a little bit about yourself and um, why you got into Krav Maga? Sure. Um, well, I was uh, obviously born and raised in Israel. Yeah. And uh, as an uh, early age, I uh, kind of uh, tried to find a martial art. We're talking about uh, 1980, something like that. Mm-hmm. Then I tried, uh, I tried karate. I mean, I went to check up a karate class. I was... Yeah. A few days after, I find boxing, and then uh, it clicked right away. 
So at about the age of 14, more or less, I started uh, boxing and uh, Golden Glove Club. And then, you know, went to competitions and stuff like that. And uh, like a year after, there was a, a rumor or some friend of mine told me there's a, a new style of uh, in, uh, in our area. So, uh, you know, that was Kavmaga. And uh, again, in the early 80s, I mean, it's been around from the 70s, but it was not that popular, especially not in the north because I'm from the north. Yeah. Uh, the main activity was some kind of activity in, in the center in Atania. Mm-hmm. But as being in the north, I'm not, I'm not in the tiny area. So uh, I went to check it out with my friend, and uh, obviously it clicked clicked right away. Yeah. Who was the instructor there, Danny? The instructor was uh, a student uh, of uh, Elia Vigza. Okay. Yeah, he was a martial artist, but he was an instructor of Elia Vigza. And then he went to law enforcement, and he was teaching law enforcement right after that. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, so we started, I started training with him. So I did at the same time. I used to uh, box and do Kav at the same time. Okay. And you run, you run Tactica now? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about the school, you know, how it would come about? Sure. Uh, I started my school uh, end of 05, 2005. And uh, I used to sublease a small room. I used to share space with uh, maybe 600 square foot. Yeah. And uh, in about a year, I reached a point that we had uh, about 150 students. Wow, that's pretty and good. It was definitely very crowded, so we had to move. And then I moved to another location. Mm-hmm. And then that grew, so I took uh, the next door to me, so we expanded the space. And uh, then I decided I'm, uh, to open another location in San Francisco because it was in Berkeley, California. Then I wanted to open in San Francisco, which yeah. is about 30 minutes away. Okay. So I opened the one in San Francisco, and then I kind of a dispute or a disagreement with my uh, uh, previous partner, business mm-hmm. partner. So we went our own ways. He stayed with the Berkeley location, and I took uh, San Francisco. And then, and uh, San Francisco and Oakland are relatively small spaces, an average of uh, three thousand square foot. But the one Tactica in Santa Clara, it's, uh, this is our headquarters, a big, big center. It's 12,000 square foot with all the amenities and all kind of stuff going on over there. When we also do a lot, a lot of tactical training. So we're focusing on many things from Kav Maga to tactical training, to boxing, to grappling. Uh, we do a lot of certification, whether it's fitness certification, whether it's uh, uh, medical certification as first aid. Everything uh, had to do with self-defense and survival uh, industry. We're trying to cover. Wow, that's pretty cool. And you mentioned you um you had this center. I used to always imagine and you know having a massive Krav Maga gym with you know half a half a plane in there and a boat and a car and sounds like that's what you used to have. Um, what do we have um, in our facility? We have a outdoor shooting range and we have an inside shooting range. Wow. When, we use uh, airsoft, and we're going to start using munition as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the indoor is uh, all covered with cameras and, and all kind of stuff that's going on. And it's removable walls. Okay, so you still actually have this center running? Oh yeah, that's the one in no, the one in Santa Clara. That's I'm describing the Santa Clara one. Okay, okay. The new one, yeah. Um, yeah, and we have a classroom where we do certification and stuff like that. So. Right. We keep on improving and adding things. Yeah. Fantastic. So, look, you've been running your place since 2005. 
you've had a lot of challenges, I imagine. Yes. Was it always your goal to run a really successful Krav Maga gym? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Is this something that was a goal as a child, you know, ever since you started or, or just something that no, developed? No, that was just a goal since I came to the U.S. I had uh, two goals. I was also study film. So I thought either I'm getting into the film industry or I'm getting into the Krav Maga industry and obviously mm -hmm. Krav Maga won. Yeah. So I stick to that. <laughs> I find a lot of people uh, have similar goals like that. Anyway, look, you, you were kind enough to do an interview for our blog a couple of weeks ago. For anyone who's interested, you can find it at krabmgarsystems.com slash blog. In the interview, Danny, you briefly touched on some things that an instructor can do to really succeed in their business. You talked about points like working hard, be open and humble, be professional, and be more than a gym. Is there anything you can, you can say just to elaborate more on this topic? Specifically, like, what would be the do or die things that you know, one would need to do to reach their goals, being uh, successful in their business? Bottom line is know what you want and what actually drives you. Why do you want to do what you want to do? That's the, one of the things that we deal in the instructor certification seminar. I mean, why do you want to teach? I mean, is it a title thing? Is it, is it a personal thing for yourself? What is it that drives you to do that? And if you're clear about that, if you know what you want to teach and you're in the, in the right space for that, that's actually pretty much the key for your success. If you have other things that uh, are driving you, like maybe ego or the, you need a title, you need, or maybe there's some kind of a chip on your shoulder that you want to compensate a thing that you haven't accomplished in different areas like military or sport combat that you never succeeded and you say, okay, I'm going to compensate it by being a common guy instructor, that's when it's complicated. And if your goals are clear, that's pretty much, uh, that's what will going to set up your success, the road of your, for your success. Sounds a little bit like, you know, having a cause bigger than yourself, term that, I've, that I hear often, and the power of the why. So have you got anything to say on that at all? You really, really have to be honest with yourself. And it's very obvious for me. For example, I cannot deny that I'm doing it for the money also because yeah. if not, I would have just gone train and not having a business. That's true. So I see it as a, as a challenge, as a challenge when it comes to the business territory as an entrepreneur that I want to succeed in my business and grow. And yeah. what makes it even better because you're doing something that you're passionate about. So the combination is very good. Yeah, yeah. You, you brought something up, Danny, in terms of your, you know, you being honest about making money from it. I know in the martial arts industry, you know, it's an old school mentality where martial artists feel about wrong or not right about taking money from people. So um, I'm, I'm sure you've come across that sort of mentality yourself. Yes. Is there any kind of tip you can give uh, on balancing that out for people? That's basically show that something is not uh, clear, that uh, the person is not clear for what he wants to do. If you want just to teach and not have a business, just don't have a business and teach. That's true. But if you want to run a business, you cannot have uh, contradicting thoughts about that because business has its own demand, its own financial demand. There's investment, there's work, there's frustration, there's hard work for you just. Yeah, and you have to be, as I said before, you just have to be very, very clear of what you want to do. If you want just to teach and be a professional, and you don't want to make money out of it, just don't want to go to school, period. 
Yeah. Very simple as that. Simple as that. Yes. Yeah. In the blog, you mentioned the need for strong leadership to build a good team and to build a fantastic organization. Can you tell us a little bit about how uh, you think how a school owner and a, a organization head can inspire people to really be great leaders? Uh, we start with the luxury of experience. If, for example, I was fortunate enough to have experience from a young age or for experience from uh, military when you know how I was a platoon sergeant. So in a platoon sergeant, you have to uh, manage people and you have to manage people under stress as in a combat unit. And if you can manage people under stress, you definitely can manage people when it's not under stress. So let's put it financial stress instead of uh, life or death stress. So uh, that's one. So that means experience. If you have experiences, definitely help. But most of the people don't do that study. You need to go learn management, you need to uh, course and seminars, how to manage, how to run, how to, how to run things, uh, and so on. You just have to learn from that. And at the same time, obviously, um, training. Training is definitely, as, 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 as for our business, you know, as in Kavmaga, you need to be, let's say, okay enough in order to teach. You need to be good enough to teach. You need to be good enough to execute in order to teach. Yeah. You cannot preach what you can't do. So you have to take both of experience as managing experiences and that you can also actually learn by lectures, seminars, books, uh, and so on. And that experience, the math experience, you just need to train, constantly train. So constant training, constant knowledge. Okay. So uh, in, the, in the blog also, Danny, we talked a, a little bit about the marketing. You know, you told us your thoughts on that. How important is the right marketing, the right business approach? Is it, a, is it just enough to start a school and invest energy into it and hope for the best? Um, what's an instructor really need to know to get going? Uh, the main ingredient is to have the passion for it. Yeah. That's the hardest one. Passion, to be passionate about it and be clear what you want to do and what you want to achieve and, and so on. Other ingredients are the business skills, uh, your emotional intelligence, how to deal with people, how to be consistent, all those other ingredients that actually make the dish complete. We cannot rely on one skill only. Same thing like in Kavmaga. You cannot rely only on a specific skill only. You need to have uh, sets of skills. And that's the same thing as instructors. You mm -hmm. cannot be just a good practitioner and you cannot be only just a good business owner. Uh, you have to have a good range of skills in order to be a good practitioner with a successful business. Yeah. Okay. But when you're looking at things like, you know, Google and Facebook and flies and this and that, so, you know, there's a lot of things for an instructor to have to really know, you know, about running their business. Specifically, you know, what vehicles do you, have you found are the best ways to promote your school other than word of mouth, other than getting out there? All those, all those marketing things like we're talking about, uh, social media and so, and so on, it, that's the easy part. And for example, if you don't know how to do it, let other people mm -hmm. do it for you. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have the funds for that, always start small. Always start small. So if you have a small budget, use that small budget. You don't know how to do something, let somebody else do it for you. And you have to have goals. You need to set goals with timeline goals. In a year, what do you see yourself in two years? I mean, it's also good to have uh, an image, a certain mental image, where you want to be in a certain date and time. If you stick to that image from... In some weird, it, it kind of a, you will get it. 
for example, if I see where do I want to be in two years from now, mm-hmm. I visualize it, I imagine it, and I will get there. One way or the other, I'll get there. And again, things that I don't know what to do, yeah. uh, first of all, you have to acknowledge what you're not good at and be okay with that and let other people do it for you. Danny, we've got some questions from students and instructors. I'm going to start with the student questions first. A student, his name is uh, Jason. He's asking, how important is cross-training in Krav Maga? I noticed that you do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and other uh, arts in your gym. Is it important? Uh, from a business point of view, it is important. As for Krav Maga, it's not important. Okay. Which, you know what I mean? Yeah, so you is is adding those arts into the gym adding significant value to the gym? From a business point of view, yes. What it does when you have more program than one, uh, you also need to understand that uh, the lifespan of students uh, in different areas can be different. For, for example, in my area, I know the lifespan is eight months, and then they're looking for something else. Okay. So as from a business point of view, I want to have the variety of styles that uh, I know that from eight months, they will keep them for 16 months. So by adding those styles, that's uh, what... Uh, increase the lifespan of my student that will stay longer. That said, what's, what is the general lifespan of your students? Like Krav, uh, Krav Maga? About a year. Okay. 10, 10 to 12 months. That's decent. They get to a decent, they get to a pretty good standard after 10 to 12 months? It, it's really, really hard to tell, but I believe, let's put it this way, they get to a level they can definitely, which is the main thing. I mean, we're not trying to create ring fighters. We're trying to create fighters who can fight when their life is in danger. And Absolutely. we definitely get to that point. Yeah, yeah. Question from one of our teen students. His name is Diego. Um, he, he's asking, can you make a million bucks teaching Krav Maga? If you teach uh, the right people, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is possible. Okay. So uh, going on, we're looking at questions from instructors, Danny. Question from an instructor who wishes to stay anonymous. He says, I'm really struggling to make ends meet with my school. I can't get my school over 40 students. No matter what I do, I get to 50. I get 10 dropouts. I'm going to Google. I'm going to Facebook. I'm even handing out flyers. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. No matter what I do, I'm not getting ahead. Can you help? The question is, he describe what he does right. The question is, what, what does he think he does things wrong? He needs to realize what are the wrong things that he does. So far, we hear about what's the right thing he think he does. But this all sounds a little bit of uh, artificial, which means all the marketing and advertising. But bottom line is, what does he think he's doing wrong? And if you realize what he's doing wrong, I think that will open the door for uh, to answer. Fantastic. Question from instructor Niels. He says, there are a lot of instructors being certified these days who have a very loose grasp on the principles of Krav Maga and their teaching abilities are highly questionable. In some locations, damage to the reputation of the system seems to have been already done and a large number of people refuse to do anything to do with Krav Maga. This has been seen with countless other arts and styles, many of which are still considered less than credible these days. Can the reputation of Krav Maga be rebuilt once it has been tarnished? Big question. First of all, yeah, no, it's a very good question. First of all, is right. Number one is right. Number two, uh, the reputation of Krav in some areas are good. Uh, for example, I know the reputation of Krav Maga in my area is very good because yeah. uh, <laughs> it's all about the school. 
So it's all about the trainers. It it can be fixed, and you have to understand we are in a very ego controlled or ego based business. All the fighting business doesn't matter if whatever style it is, Aikido, BJJ, boxing, Shotokan, Taekwondo. There's so much ego in that, and the same thing that been told about Krav Maga, for example, it's the same thing be told about all styles. Question from instructor Alistair. He says, how can I find the right balance between encouraging timid students and keeping the training realistic? He says, we want people to come back and learn more, but to learn they have to go past their comfort levels and I worry that they won't come back if I push them too far. First, you need to, you need to learn what is the comfort level of your student and then you need to adapt to that. So pushing it too far, do not push it far, just build it gradually if you care for your student development. Someone needs to develop slower, needs to, which is fine. So you need to adapt to the uh, uh, student demand. Now, uh, it is not a sell-up. You just, as a good teacher, your role is to improve your student, help him grow. And by shutting him down or shutting off his uh, learning sensories, you haven't accomplished your goal. So the idea, if you understand what he wants and you understand what is quality, so to adapt it. There is a way to adapt it even if he's a part of a large class. There's many, many ways to do it. At the same time, when you need to be true to your form. So those, this balance can be found. And uh, you, ju you just hopefully get in the right instructor that will show him how to do it because it can be done. It definitely can be done. Done, I mean, by true to the form of the philosophy of Kav Maga, and also be aware of the different level of progress, mental baggages. You need to be aware of it and uh, help them in the right way. Okay. Would you suggest in, in situations like this that the instructor groups people up uh, according to level equivalency? It, it's pretty much a must. Okay. You need to be by according to the level. Uh, making classes, mixed level classes are usually not good. They are, they are not good. Yeah. It needs to be by level. What do you mean by mixed classes? Can you give me an example? I've seen a lot of schools are having classes uh, that are involving technique, for example, from a beginner to advanced. Yeah. Advanced depends on your system. Some use belt, some use uh, uh, practitioner and graduate, as you know, and so on. Okay. But uh, you, some people use that because, um, and it's entertaining for the student. And the problem with a lot of instructors, they're focusing on entertaining and keeping the student entertained instead of focusing on what needs to be taught. Uh, many of the classes, if you're true to the form, are not that exciting. Are actually reaching a boring point in the class. That's true. Because of repetition. Repetition is boring. Yeah. Not an entertainment business. So if you're true to hmm. your form, you got to do the right. Would you go so far to say that depending on your rank, and how it works, obviously, but let's say P1, P2, P3, would you not combine those students together? Most of the time, not. Okay. Most of the time, I will not. 90% of the time, not. And how do you find the time to actually run the classes? Because when you do it that way, you probably have to run, you know, quite a few classes per day and scheduling. There's no easy way out. If you're not willing to work hard, just let it go. Okay. understand. Which is fine too, right? Yeah, of course, up to the individual. Danny, instructor Eric is asking, how do you keep your instructors on the same page when it comes to delivering your message to the public about Krav Maga in line with your organization? Instructor training, a lot of instructor training. 
uh, instructor that does not train does not teach. Yeah. That's the rule that we have. You don't train, you don't teach. And at the same time, uh, we train a lot together. So we always keep in the same line. And as an organization owner, unfortunately, it's not much of a democracy. It needs to be dictatorship. Same thing when you run a class. Running a class is not a democratic environment. Mm -hmm. So everybody needs to be in the same line in order to develop the same language. Yeah. And that's mainly because of the sake of the development of the students and safety and training. Right. How often do you guys train together? You will find instructors in my organization that are jumping in into each other's class, even if it's a P1, 2, 3, 4, 5, G, and so on. They are very passionate about the style. Therefore, they love to do what they do. So you will see a graduate four jumping into a P1 class that other instructors are running. Um, other instructors, I know that uh, also, uh, if they have a certain degree, they said they like to teach the higher level. And actually, the most important work is to teach the beginner level. Yeah. The beginner level are the most important and have the largest impact on the student. And uh, when someone is passionate and understand it, uh, that's create uh, the right teaching, the right environment. So mm. don't look for the vanity. Don't look for the, I teach only high level. If you teach only high level, it means that you're lazy. Because teaching high level, it's the easiest one. The guys know what they're doing. All you have to tell them what they're doing, they're doing it. Yeah. The hard work is in the beginning level. And if you are true instructor slash coach, you will you will aim towards the lower level to teach. Okay, you mentioned so your your instructors will get into P one classes, P two classes. It really sounds like you're um, working these guys on not being egotistical and getting them training with the students as well. Is that right? Correct. And the student appreciate it actually. They have more respect when the uh, instructors training with them at the mat. Wow, that's great. And uh, uh, in addition to that, we have uh, every certain period of time, like at least four or five times, well, even more, there's uh, instructor day training, which when we close all of our locations and all, then we get together and we go through training together. Plus, the instructors should, they are being uh, encouraged also to take part of some education they can have. It's good. That's good. I've been to places where instructors are all mixed within students and some will just sort of stand on the sidelines and by some I mean the majority and then there's always the few who get involved and I'm, I'm for that. I'm for really, you know, putting aside your ego and, and just learning and, and growing together and helping one another. So anyway, going forward, uh, Danny, last few questions from assistant instructor Nicole. First one. Sometimes you get a student who comes across like they know everything. Recently, I was assisting in a class where an MMA guy, no matter what I did and what the instructor did, he just never understood anything. He said, yes, yes, yes. And he'd do his best to show us that he knows his MMA and he would compare. But his Krav Maga never, ever improves. I just take it as he's got a really big ego and doesn't want to learn. But perhaps I'm not seeing it correctly. Have you got any tips on that? So is a question is how to deal with uh, people with experience or with different styles? People with experience who, who appear like they're not uh, listening and not getting it. Okay. Yes, there's a lot of these, by the way. Uh, is Nicole, she's a female uh, instructor assistant? Uh, yeah, that's right. So I have a bad news for her. 
And the bad news is that uh, female instructors need to work three times harder than male. <laughs> because it's such an ego and male-dominated uh, environment, uh, they need to work much harder They, in order to be accepted by male uh, practitioners. And it's very common. It's very common in our business. And, um, I mean, the question is, is the answer is long. But uh, first, she needs to understand it's a Kamaga class and it's not an MMA class. So one way to approach it is uh, not to disagree or take down the student. Uh, if a certain person has a certain ability, it's fine. Uh, the only way to do it is to explain to him or to agree with him, for example, what you're doing is good, but but then there is a but. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the approach is always start with a positive approach. You need to start with a positive word, the positive sentences, a sentence, and then take it to the next step. Okay. You cannot you never get into argument about standing the class. First agree with them, start with a positive note, and then take it to the, the logic of Kavmaga, the philosophy. Now, as long as the student is not disturbing the dynamic of the class, it's fine. But as soon as he does, and if his sister doing what he wants to do, if he wants to do MMA style, Unfortunately, we have to let him go and tell him MMA is wonderful, but this is not MMA. This is Kamala, so you have to let him go. Okay. Uh, next question she has, Danny, I think you've already answered it, but I'll ask anyway. She said, what strategies do you have for a group that has uh, different levels of Kamala experience? To find a technique that will fit all, but just uh, change the uh, scenario or the challenge level. You can have the uh, same technique, but uh, some scenarios are more complicated and the demand may be to perform the same technique with a higher level of uh, execution. So find a technique that will be challenging for all level at the same time and just change scenario or increase the, the challenge or the stress of the same drill. And it can be done. Uh, you can have one technique that from P1 to G5, you can run it, just different challenge level. Okay. Last one, buddy. What is the best way to introduce a culture into a gym? Like new rules, a, con a new culture of friendliness, etc. Does that make sense? Um, I'm not sure. Can you elaborate more about uh, what that? Can you tell me more? Let me rephrase it for her. What would be a nice way uh, to introduce like changes into a gym? Political changes, maybe changing to a new organization, maybe changing the way... Um, you know, programs work, for example? Yes, tell it as is. Explain why, but in a positive light. Tell it as is. Don't try to hide behind any other words. Just tell it as is. We're doing now one, two, three, because we believe one, two, three is the right thing to do. And uh, in a positive way. And uh, three, four, five is good as well, but it just doesn't fit with our beliefs. So, uh, we believe in one, two, three, so we want to stick with that. Danny, that's all the questions I have, bud. Awesome. We'll end on that note. So thank you very much. And I, again, appreciate it, buddy. Oh, it's my pleasure.